You're listening to Insights for Living with Pastor Boju Oyemade. Pastor Boju is the senior pastor of the Covenant Nation. Uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse from verse 17 to verse 25. Uh, I want to bring the concepts that we have been uh, teaching on to uh, conclusion, and then we want to um, explain to the church at large something we have been uh, teaching um, in workers, um, in our workers' training, uh, but we want to open it to the church at large. Um, and first of all, the concept that we've been looking at is that God um, in preparation of an individual for the future that he has ordained for that person, um, he subjects us to certain things. And in doing that, when he apprehends us, he subjects us uh, to certain things. And during that time, he molds us and forms us into the type of person that he wants us to be so that we can be fit for purpose. Romans 8, 17, let's read it now. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Uh, so Paul is speaking here that as joint heirs together with Jesus, that we are heirs of God, but there is a process towards entering into this inheritance that we suffer together with Christ, if we accept that, that we might be glorified together with him. Somewhere else in the book of Philippians, uh, Paul called it fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. Let's look at Romans 8 verse 20. Um, no, some verse, verse 18. Let's start from verse 18. So it says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And then it says, For the earnest expectation of creation or the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. So creation is waiting for the manifestation of what he calls the sons of God. Sons there are mature. The word used there are adults or mature sons of God. Now, if we look at Galatians chapter 4, I believe, and verse 1, this that I say, an heir, as long as he is a child, doesn't differ from a servant, though he be Lord over all. So even though potentially 
he is the Lord, but since he is a child, he doesn't differ from a servant, even though potentially he is the Lord over everything. In other words, potentially he is going to be the owner. In other words, let's put it this way. A person's father owns a massive corporation. And he has a child there who is immature. He, in decision making, he will not be different from a, a servant or just an employee there until he comes to a point of maturity where the father is satisfied that the son can handle the business and it will not be seen, quote and unquote, as nepotism for that son to be promoted to becoming CEO even though he is immature. It, it, it will just not be right. So the father, even though technically is Lord over all, he cannot be put in a management position because he is still a child. And so God also, even though potentially in Christ, we have received the inheritance until we mature to the point where we can manage what God has given to us in Christ, he will not transfer vitally the ownership of that thing into our hands. So he goes on and says, let's look at Romans and continue. So he goes on and says, for the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. So he says, for the creature, now he's talking about the process of the father. Put the scripture back up. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, which means against the will of the creature, but by reason of him that subjected the same in hope. In other words, the father, therefore, in the training process of that child, knowing that potentially he will be owner and manage the entire thing, therefore to get him into that place of maturity, subject that child to what that child considers as vain things against the will of that child but in expectation, in anticipation, which means the father in his heart, in anticipation of a hope. Put the scripture back up. Of a hope, which means he did it in the hope of certain things. So he is doing it in the hope of the child becoming the owner of everything. I mean, let me give an example here. And without this, there can be transgenerational things. I think it was Sam Walton, that's the owner of Walmart. One time they asked him during an interview, this was before he died. They said, how come you drive trucks and your children drive Cadillacs? Ah, he said, it's because my father was poor, but theirs is wealthy. You get what he's saying? All right? Which means even though he had all the wealth, he was still driving trucks. The children that did not develop any wealth were driving expensive cars. 
So in order, if a father sees his children that way, in order for, I mean, that child doesn't have to do anything to drive those cars. Nothing. Just because he was born into that family. He can change the cars because he has wealth. And he can even blackmail his father to say that with all this money that you're having, this person's child is driving this, this person's child has a private jet, this person's child is doing all of that, that see how I am and do all of that because he knows his father has the resources to do it. But he's not really interested in the wisdom the father used to build it. Therefore, once that father is out of the scene there, he will not be able to manage that particular thing. So the father looks at the child and out of that strength of will and capacity says that we are opening a new factory in one remote part of Africa. He wants to train the child in residence. Send him to that part of Africa. Calls the office there. Make sure you buy a generator that doesn't work properly. So as he enters into the office, he's coming from Manhattan in New York, going to clubs at night, or I don't know how they're enjoying driving, and says, he will understand. When he gets there, let the light go. Let him start fanning himself. Make sure that mosquitoes are around so, so that he develops, what's he trying to build? Capacity there. This is the way Understand what I'm saying? God trains us. And he does it against your will. Which means that if that boy doesn't want to be in Africa. That boy wants to be in Manhattan. He wants to be around his people, speaking and all that. But God knows. That's why check the scriptures. All right? It's against your will. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Eh? In this Christianity day, you will will things that God will block. And he will use that to break your will because he has something better than what you have willed. Are you following what I'm saying here? So he took Joseph. He understood. Now, if the child is not going to be an heir, then you leave the child where they will. If it's not going to be an heir. If the child is just going to be an employee within the system and he will pay the salary and his decisions will not determine. So you make up your mind what you want to be in the body of Christ. The decisions will not determine, all right, the, the future of that corporation is okay with it. But the person he wants decision to determine the future of the corporation, he has to subject that child to things. So he takes Joseph there. Against the will of Joseph. Joseph was in his father's house. There were many colors, coat of many colors. He was a favored one. He was that way. God said, listen, you must have capacity for me. I'm taking you too. All right, take him, throw him out. Against his will. As far as Joseph was concerned, it was vanity there. But it was in anticipation of something. God did it in anticipation of something. Which means there is a hope. There is a bigger picture that he had that he wanted to bring forth in the life of that person. He took Jacob. When Jacob threw the same process there. Alright? I mean, even Isaac. As I heard someone preach many years ago. He said, listen, the reason why Isaac's life was the way it was, was that Isaac was so submissive to the will of his father that he allowed his father to carry, who many children who allowed their father to carry him to put you down and say, I'm going to cut your neck and say, I'm submitting to you, father. <laughs> your father carries you and says, we're going there. Before he turns around, you are gone. <laughs> 
That shows that he was completely submissive, all right, to the will of his own father. Same thing he did with David. Ah, David said, I'm anointed. I'm gifted. You know, I played. Demons came out of, of Saul. You know, I took a sling and a stone. I killed Goliath. I did it. I said, that's not what will get you inheritance. Carry him. All right? Throw him into the cave. Only people that will be there with him are people that are broke, people that are delusioned, people that will be complaining, that say we are finished. All right? God training him to get him into position. So God will allow. And when you get into those places, this is what we're saying. It is the training of the father because he has something that you cannot even pray about nor imagine that he wants to use you to do. But what he requires of you are two things within that place. Number one, to have that sense of expectation, which means that this is for a season and I'm entering into something massive after this. And therefore, the Bible says, wherein you greatly rejoice, knowing this, that though for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation, that there is a salvation that is ready to be revealed, a salvation the prophets spoke about. Many Christians are in this place. And what happens is they have not yielded. You see, you can, because you have no choice. So what happens is, all right, it's just like if I said this last week, if parents carry a child by force, I say we're taking you back to the to the village here for summer holiday, and they can't, there's nothing they can do. It's, it's, they have power over him. So God has power over you, and he can do and hold you, all right, there. In fact, this morning, just before I came, I saw a scripture, you know, when Paul said that I may apprehend that for which I've been apprehended. You get what I said, yeah? He said, put it up, Philippians 3, verse 12 and verse 13. He said that I may apprehend, I press towards the mark. He says, not as though I have already attained, all right, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which I was apprehended of Christ. In other words, that I may come to the full comprehension of that which God, all right, apprehended, which means God saw me and snatched me. I want to really know and experience why he snatched me. And God told me, he said, look at the scripture when I apprehend the person. All right, it is like this. Acts chapter 12 and verse 4. When they apprehend you, all right, when you say they, they say they have apprehended a man, doesn't it look like they've caught somebody? Put Acts chapter 12, 4. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in what? Prison. In other words, God apprehends you with situations like that. And there's confinement. Everybody around me is getting big jobs. Why am I unemployed? Are you following what I'm saying? Everybody seems to be moving. What's happening? Now, you have to yield. The Bible says that the chastisement or the correction of God is not joyous, but is grievous. It says, but it will yield a peaceable fruit. It says, we were in subjection. When our fathers in the flesh corrected us, we were in subjection unto them and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits? This is the secret to the inheritance. You can just be enduring it, but you are not in subjection, which means you are not cooperating with God for what he wants to do on the inside of you. So that boy might be in Africa and he's angry all the day, calling and shouting and doing this. Why are they putting me here and all of that? But he's there, but he's not learning what the father wants him to learn. 
He's not saying, all right, I'm going to build a corporation, all right, right off of this place. Let's start doing it. Call the people together. Encourage them. Begin to build resilience that the light goes. Says, Let's look for another way to generate power and all of that. Resilience there. I mean, when we were here, there were shops all over here. Very many wealthy people used to be here. They used to have shops all over here. The landlord would come one time, something happened in the light. And they went to meet him in the house and they told him that they, they never saw something. He just told us, he said, Is there nobody in that place that I that I that I got as a standard that has force in them? Why are you coming to meet me? He said, Is there nobody with force? In other words, isn't there somebody that will take it upon themselves and say, I will change this thing? And I understood what he was saying. That nobody has force in that place. Ah, it's like, ah, we don't. He said, nobody can stand up and take it. So that boy can be there, all right, and just be suffering and say, well, is it three years? I'll just suffer. I'll not end. And then he comes back, worse off. Angry now. Feeling offended. Not knowing that you are being made subject for a certain purpose. And so, you must understand two things I want us to get here. Number one, there's a future that is going to come out of it. Number two, let me therefore, knowing that there's a massive future going to come out of this, let me yield myself to God that this is the process. And once you yield yourself to God there, the, the weight of that thing lifts, the pain of that thing goes there, all right? And the learning begins. And then you begin to see things and see things. I'm telling you, this is the secret here to Christianity. Here. All right? If you can be fasting and praying to get out of it, you can be confessing to get out of it. But God is saying, listen, there's something you need to learn. That's why he says of Jesus that even though he could be created as equal to God, he humbled himself. And because he humbled himself, that's why it tells us, humble yourself in 1 Peter 5, 6, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due season. So you humble yourself. That hand that is going to exalt you, that same hand is keeping you down at a particular time. And he says, humble yourself, because there are things he wants to do on the inside of you. And I'll never forget what I, mean, I said yesterday at the workers' meeting. I heard Shaq O'Neill say this. He said, look, and I thought about it because sometimes you look at it in Christian, even though old evangelical books, right, they write it, but because we talk confession and all of that, which is true, if you, like somebody put out on, I don't know which church, I think it was Bikeja, that they went into an elevator, I said, where are you going? You are going down, not up. And you know, as I said, no, I don't go down. I only go up in life, you know. Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, said, Except the corn of wheat falls to the ground. He used fall. If they tell you you have to fall to the ground, you say, I'm not falling to the ground. I'm going up. They say, falls to the ground, dies. We don't die in Jesus' name. All we do is live and live. Paul comes and says, I die daily. God forbid, I will not die. So there are just some words that once you use them with modern day Christians, they trigger. If you say fail, I won't fail. Lost, I won't run. That's not my portion. So you know what people are getting? Deliverance, not better resurrection. Remember the scripture above says they were tortured, not accepting deliverance, which means don't shortchange us. This is not the destiny. All right? 
So Jacques O'Neill said, he said this, he said, when one time he was playing against Chicago Bulls, and that was Michael Jordan who was on that team, and he said he was going to make sure he defeats Michael Jordan, like he's the new rookie. And he said he used everything he had. He said the Chicago Bulls won the NBA title. He said he was sad. His head sank. He was walking out or right, through the tunnel. He said Michael Jordan left where he was and ran after him, knowing who he was. I just slapped him. He said, young man, you have to learn to fail before you can understand how to succeed. In other words, Jesus had to learn how to die for resurrection to come. So when you're going through death, you learn that God forbid. Do you get what I'm saying here? Learning to fail means that you're going through things and you put away all malice and all bitterness and all evil speaking and envy. And you're learning at that particular place. You have to learn how to live under God's hand if you are going to understand how exaltation comes. And so, what, what happens is that we can just be raising people who are self-willed. That's what the scripture says. Self-willed means if something doesn't go the way, and God says, look, I'll put my hand and I will break that will. And that's what the old time Pentecostals say, broken vessels. That this is, and that's what the scripture calls a broken spirit and a contrite heart that you know inside you. As, as, as Derek Prince said, he said, when I was young, I was always right. When I became middle-aged size, I was half right, half wrong. When I became old, I was always wrong. You know what that means? That means if I've not heard from God, my intellect can't take it. So the more he grew, the more conscious he knew that he had to listen to God on issue. So let's go on here. So let's put up the next scripture. So it says, for this hope, for the creature in the hope of some. Now note that word hope, because that's the key to what one shows. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty. So God is going to deliver you, you, from, during that time, from certain things that are bondage of corruption. Now, bondage of corruption is not that, you know, the person is drinking or no, but it's much deeper than that. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1, it talks about a bondage. And this is one of the biggest things that can create bondage in people. It says, for as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, and yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What's the sin there? He said, next verse, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lost. That word lost means the desires of men but to the will of God. So God delivers you from wanting to please people. Many people have run into trouble because they can't say no. Are you following what I'm saying? Many people have gone, gotten themselves because, oh, my friends are doing it, let me too do it. Many people have gone out of the will of God for their lives because everybody around me is doing it, let me also do it. So you come to a place where it's only the will of God. You know, there was a man in America, um, Mike Huckabee, he was governor, governor Mike Huckabee of a state, Arkansas, he was a Southern Baptist pastor and they came. And one day he was saying something on television and I listened to him. Somebody asked something. He said, you know, my chief of staff, you know, I did with people going all around in the office, asking her for things, making requests and all that. So I was even sorry for her. So I came on one day. I said, look, how are you coping with all these people? She said, what's the problem? I said, ah, the pressure people are putting on you. She said, there's no stress there. I said, why? I said, because I only have one person to please, you. They didn't employ me. You employed me. So I ask you who you want to see. Want to tell me? I will tell them, I'm sorry, you cannot. It's only you. I am loyal to not the other people. This is what God is saying. That people can be swarming around you, but you know who puts you in position? God. And it's only God you are answerable to. And if you are not delivered from that, you will go into error. You know why? 
Because the Bible says blood is the way that leads to death. And many, if you are going always with many, that you want to be, ah, I must belong, I must train with the people, I must be in some, 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 ah, they do ministry. There's another wind that blows. You should say, I must blow with that wind. Another wind blows. I say, I must blow with that. I say, no. All right? If God leads you to do something, you do it that way. If God doesn't lead you to do something, you don't do it that way. It's the way God leads you. Or else, what you're going to be doing is, once people, one wind blow here, you two will follow that. You forget your calling. So, let's go on there. That we delivered from bondage of corruption and children of, of God. Here, next verse. For we know that the whole of creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but we ourselves also that have the first fruit of the Spirit. Now, not that one first fruit. It says, we ourselves groan within ourselves. So when we are there, there is a groaning that is going on because of the discomfort around. Now, groan within ourselves, it says this, all right, uh, waiting for adoption to know the redemption of our bodies. The next verse, it says, for we are saved by hope. So it's that hope that we have that actually brings about the salvation. But the groanings there means during that time, as we yield unto God there in the spirit, we are groaning there. And groaning is a depth of prayer. In other words, you enter into a place, a birth position, because you have to give birth to that particular thing for the reality of it to be born. So the spirit begins to help you, all right, there with, with groanings. Now, look at what it says. It says, for we groan within ourselves. It says, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is sin is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. You know, so we're waiting for that hope. So it's all about that hope. That's why we won't go through all the things we went through if there is not a hope there. It's all about that hope. So with patience, all right? So don't start saying, when you're going, when God, praise God, everything has scattered. With patience, we're waiting for it. He says, for we're hoping for something we haven't seen. In other words, what God wants to bring out of you, you haven't yet seen it with your two eyes. It's something new. This podcast is brought to you by The Covenant Nation. For more information, visit www.insightsforliving.org. Thank you and God bless.